I am unashamed. What about you? So now we are in, inviting for the first time to the unashamed lair, Mr. Paul Stevens. How's it going, Paul? Welcome. Hey, it's doing great. I appreciate y'all having me. I'm I'm uh, looking forward to this. So I don't know why I haven't thought of this before, and I have to give credit where credit's due. It was old Jace yesterday. We old were, Jace. We were recording a podcast, and Dad was talking about um, we were doing it on Sunday, and so I had to get a fill-in for him, so I mentioned your name. And then Jace is like, man, we need to have him on the podcast. You know, He's got quite the story. And I was like, that's a great idea. So I called you yesterday, and uh, you graciously agreed to come out and be on the podcast with us. So yeah. we're glad – Glad well, you're on Unashamed. Well, what hit me, though, too, it was the first uh, convert that you shared Jesus with, right, Phil? Is it? I, I think think it pretty well was. Yeah. yeah. And that was how many years ago? Well, it was at least 40. 45, 46. It was in 76. So when I saw, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, I saw you. I remember you were, I'm guessing, 16, 17, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was uh, seventeen, I think. 17. This is why I wanted to do this because the the funny <laughs> story on this is that you know Phil comes to the Lord, gets his life right, and for some reason decided he was going to go teach in the <laughs> high school education uh, system. Right, well, that's what he and had, had done. And had, yeah, and it, go ahead. What do you mean? Somehow. That's what he had done before. <laughs> I mean, I, I spent about had, you know five years. Plus, I get it, Phil. But I'm, I'm just was imagining the kids coming in, and they're like, "Here's your new teacher," and there you are. <laughs> well, yeah. you got to re- you got to realize that he was. I mean, he was clean cut and all that, and oh, really? He, he fit have... the mold. Don't know. He fit the mold. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, no he, beard. So you... I was. I felt awkward. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> so you were shaving what? back then? I'm teaching, oh, yeah. T- oh yeah, I'm teaching tenth graders. How to use flawless English? Oh, okay. he was, and he's also a PE teacher. Yep, yeah. PE PE teacher. Ed, physical ed. And, yeah, physical ed. I majored yeah. in physical ed at Louisiana Tech, and then I minored in English. Most of them, it's it's uh, history. They minored in history. Most coaches. Yeah. But in my case, I just I went through a couple of them history professors. And I thought I need to get out of here. Well, didn't you coach baseball too? He was actually, I, actually he was the first coach of uh, Washtenaw Christian in yep. football, but he was the first head coach of, of baseball. You know why I remember him coaching baseball? Why? Because I was standing beside him, and beside the catcher, and, and the pitcher was warming up. He was like, "You know, come out. You you come out here with me." And the last thing I remember was seeing a fastball, which was about. 10 yards wide right that hit me right below the sternum. Just poof. And it knocked the wind out of me. <laughs> I was just laying on the ground. I don't know if y'all remember that. That'd be hard but, to forget when you're about seven years old. Yeah, and it, I was just. And <laughs> feels like, get out of the way. Yeah, there was no compassion. No, it's like, no, what are no, you no. doing out here, boy? I was like. <laughs> yeah, you need to get up and get out of the way. I was to say, well, you told me I could. <laughs> you know, and then Phil was so, hollering at the pitcher, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I told Phil, I said, look, I That I may have pitch. been Paul that pitch. did it. <laughs> that may have been because, look, I, I told him I Paul could pitch. In the, fir- the, <laughs> the first game that uh, we played was against Sandsboro, I believe it was, and uh, he put me in, and I don't think I made it out of there in the inning. I don't know. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I may have been plucking people, hitting people, and trying to figure out how to throw a strike. I don't know, but he pulled me, and I don't think I – I never got another chance to pitch until my senior year. <laughs> right. Paul was a left-handed pitcher. And uh, yep. I, the reason yep. I remember the baseball, Paul, is because I was the statistician. I was in the I was in the sixth oh, or seventh right. grade, and I, I kept the book in the dugout. So I got to know all the older guys that were playing That's the baseball That's right. I team. forgot all about that, yeah. But you know what was yeah. interesting was is that, you know, it was a brand-new school. It was a Christian school, and it's still there. I mean, mm-hmm. Paul's been involved in coaching Y'all, out he's there. he's doing and, great. And yep, they've had many baseball state championships. Jason's sons have played for them. Yeah. So it's re- it's kind of a long history, which is interesting. But I remember back in the day, 
we would have you had a hard time finding people that would play you. So I remember we played the at the uh, juvenile detention sil- facility. Uh, they call it LTI. I remember that. And so yeah, we build it as the too. Christians versus the con- the convicts. And uh, I don't know what happened. I don't know who won. But I just remember oh, there was oh, no minute, fences. I can tell you. I remember. Yeah, I yeah, remember. Yeah, no fences. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, Larry McLemore was pitching. He's deaf. And these cats were over there in the dugout screaming and hollering at him. They were so good at toning. They were trying to tone him. They were trying to get him. They off didn't realize head. he was deaf. Oh, I look up. I was so sick and tired of hearing him holler. I look over and said, "Look, hey, he's deaf. He's deaf. He can't hear you." But they thought you were making so, that up. Well, yeah, at first, and so he just stood and paying attention to him, and then so they started making faces at him. Oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> and well, one guy got on second base, so he gets on second base, and uh, he's over jumping up and down, making faces at him, trying to get him off his game. And the center fielder comes, Ken Freeman, comes sneaking up behind him and picked him off. Oh my <laughs> and when he got in the dugout, they started pounding him. It was hilarious, <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, somewhere, somewhere, just to enlighten the audience, somewhere in there, after about, uh, <clears throat> I think about four years teaching, coaching, and teaching English, and then right before I repented, I go down there. I end up going to the little Christian school. I said, I said, I think I'll hang around Christian people for a year or two here, teach them, and that'll keep me a little more grounded in the faith. I told Miss Kay that your mother, but I said, but the the longer I went with the coaching and the teaching English, it was less than a decade. But somewhere in there, I basically said to myself. Get out of here! <laughs> I need to. I need to get, have another line of work, and that's when I walked out there in the parking lot of where we were having. We were in the parking lot. That's where we didn't have a gym, so we'd have volleyball in the parking lot, doing the best we can, you know, before yeah. we got everything lined out. Christian school. They hadn't built a building yet, or all that. We're meeting in churches, White's Ferry Road. So yep. I left there. After being around, I said, I'll tell you this. I, I told Miss Kay, I said, as far as kids go, I said, this is the best bunch of kids I've ever been around. So I said, this Christian thing, I, I, I see that it's more to it than I thought. So I was just getting on my feet. So yeah. that's where I decided after seven or eight years of that, I said, I'm just not the right man for that job. I said, it's just parents coming up, you know, uh, Graphing about this and that and other. So well, that's, I, that's when I made the decision to get out of town and get on the riverbank and, and try something else. I said, we're going to fish the river and I'm going to build these duck calls. And, but that's what spurred me on, which looking back at it, you know. But I'm, the Lord did use you in that capacity, well, yeah, even did, though you yeah. didn't recognize it, you know. Well, right. Well, uh, because that was. Uh, I, I was mean, trying to get on my feet spiritually working with Christian kids. And it was, they were very Christian kids. I mean, I was amazed. Well, you and I had a lot in common because we, I mean, I was two years, you was just a Christian for two years. That's right. And so I was coming in and looking and you and I started hanging out because you had the background that I had or a yep. lot of it. And yep. then, so we kind of connected there. Yep. But yeah, we were in the midst of a lot of great people and yep. it was like, okay, I got to learn how to figure out how to live in this yeah. you know, because it was all total different to me. Yep. Yeah, very much so. Well, that's probably what well, drew y'all together. Well, it was. I think so. It I was. think that was one of the draws was because, and I think that's why, Paul, you were the first. And then there was a lot of other kids who, a lot of the kids who were there grew up in the church. And so that's kind of some of the ones Dad's describing. But a lot of people were in the school, and they didn't have any church background. And, and right. you were one of those kids. And I think yep. that's why Dad was such a draw to those kids because he was right out of the world. So, I mean, there was a, re- a relationship there. And so what I loved about it is that quickly beyond Coach Robertson and PE teacher and English teacher was him just sharing what Jesus had done for him. And I think that's that fruit that started it right out there in that parking lot. I, I remember Dad would sit out there with his Bible and some kid like you, you were, what, 16 at the time, you'd be sitting out there and y'all would be having a Bible study. And yep. that's what began to unlock things, you know. Through the years, <laughs> it, it surprised me. Through the years, as in about 40, 
after way after that era, us down on the riverbank and all that. But during that little era, there's still to this day people who show up and they say, you remember me? And I'm looking at them. I said, uh, the face looks familiar a little bit there, but I don't remember them. But mm -hmm. they said, you, you told me about Jesus here about 40 years ago while I was going to OCS or whatever. And I didn't take you up on it. I pretty well. And, and then they say, I just want to let you know, I get it now. So they tell me what I was talking to them about 40 years earlier. And they said, I get it now. So I'm, I'm back. So yeah, I said, Hey, welcome aboard. Well, you, you know, I started hanging out with you and it was like, you was trying to explain to me the gospel for about two weeks. As a matter of fact, <laughs> we drove by a bar that uh, you see, you see those folks over there, those, those folks, I don't know if they're going to make it or not. And I thought, well, yeah, cause that's where my daddy hang out. And so we, we started, uh, you started talking to me about that and it was like two weeks into it. And then, yeah, we, we ended up in the parking lot and yep. you asked me that day, okay, look, this is it. And you started walking off. You explained the gospel to me and all that. And you got down to the lick line and you said, this is what you got to do. You turn around and started walking off. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> let's go. Come on, let's go right now. And we did. And uh, changed my life forever. Yep. yep. Yeah, and what's ironic, Paul, Paul, I, saw, I looked at it. One day I was looking around the table. And, of course, you and Dad and I are all elders at our church, and along with a couple other guys that were all a part of We were kids. We were young. Yeah. And Dad was the one that had led us all to Christ. And here we were 40 years later. He's serving to to lead the church and yeah. be shepherds of it, and it just hit me. I thought, man, that's that's really what this whole thing—the New Testament, all the stuff we study—that's what it's all about—is sharing your faith in such a way that people you'll get you'll grow old with and do life together. Because because and this is another thing for the audience. We talk a lot about Smith. Smith comes up a lot, yeah. And because he was my mentor. And he's the one that led Dad to Christ, and he was one of Jace's mentors as well. He's he and was you your married his daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I told him, I said, "Look, you got to be careful who you start converting. They may marry your daughter." <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. I married the preacher's daughter. Can you believe that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it's amazing. You know, we've been married well, forty years now. Forty really? years. Yeah, mm. and Dad. And here's and Dad how long her all too. that took. Here's how long yeah. all this took. Look. Yep, it was quick. It, quick, quick. it was just yesterday. But it is ironic. The guy that led you to the Lord, then the first guy you led to the Lord would turn out to be his son-in-law. Yep. What are the odds of that? I don't know. Oh, minute. Well, you know, even yeah. e even in our family, Jace, um, you know, Stone, Stone was working down at the country corner there in Calhoun, little quick stop, and old Rick Fortenberry started, you know, inviting him to come to church. And of course he was a hunter. And so he wanted to meet you and dad and he did. And y'all wind up leading him to Christ. And then he wound up marrying my daughter. So again, yeah. you, you live in such a way because Paul's right. You never know when the guy that you're talking to and sharing Jesus with may marry one of your kids. Yeah. Yeah, Kim, Kim kind of liked the, the bad boy syndrome thing anyway, so. <laughs> I watched him close for probably a year or two. Jace, he, he came with Jace duck hunting. And one day I just told him, I said, you know, Stone, I've been watching you like a hawk. I said, you know, you, you're a good shot. You, 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 you can call ducks. I said, you don't talk a man's ears off. I said, you <laughs> served, the, served in the military and risked your life. I said, I've officially betted you to marry my granddaughter. And he said. That was one of the most awkward moments in the duck blind I've yeah. ever had. Because he, he looked she's... at me and I was like, I think he just said you need to marry. <laughs> I mean, we hadn't even got to the dating phase. This was like. Yeah, no Phil, dating, nothing. And Phil he, said, have you seen her? And he he just didn't have, he didn't have much Well, he said, say. well, I don't think she's, uh, uh, he's, uh, she's not but 17. I said, yeah. That's why I'm telling you, this. <laughs> move early. I said, don't wait till she gets to be 20. Uh, yeah. I said, move oh, now, boy. son. Yeah, it got I said, awkward. I said, now you got to clear that with Al. I said, I, but tell him, yeah. I said, you've been vetted and found to be a man of good standing. Yeah. Well, well, seven, I said, Go 17, years, 17 years later, it all worked out. Thank, thank <laughs> the Lord for that. 
So how, uh, how, how did he approach you when he when he wanted to marry your daughter? He I'd approached already... me. With, he approached me with fear and trepidation, but <laughs> he was very humble. <laughs> but it's worked out well. He still he cooks for me all the time. Let's take a break. So one of our longtime sponsors, uh, we really appreciate these guys. Are it's a company called Keeps. And, uh, you know, we, we know a lot of folks working with men as long as we have, and I know there's a lot of you out there listening that, uh, that may start that bonding process, uh, early and, uh, and you want to hang on to some of that hair and this is the way you can do that. And, uh, so it's, it's, uh, they, the reason they call it keeps is because it helps you keep your hair to help stop hair loss and improve hair growth. And so they've got physicians, uh, that are, there for you and they have you can contact these guys anytime unlimited messaging any questions that you have it's about half the cost of a traditional pharmacy uh, which is really good so whether you're trying to prevent hair loss stimulate hair growth or just take get a better care of your hair keeps as you covered so that's hair loss with hair loss stops with keeps k-e-e-p-s dot com slash door you're going to get 50 percent off your first order keeps dot com slash door and hang on to your hair so paul i wanted to i wanted you to tell a little bit because we just touched on it a bit but you being at ocs obviously someone saw and wanted you in an environment that could change your life you have, you have quite the testimony uh I, I want you to share with the audience just a bit about how you grew up before that, what led you to wind up at OCS and, and obviously then becoming a Christian and the man you are today. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, my, yeah, my background is that uh, I grew up in a dysfunctional home uh, with a daddy that was an alcoholic. Uh, and it was, uh, he was, he was violent, but you know, when daddy went drinking, he was a great man. Uh, he would do anything for you. I mean, literally he would, I mean, we would take groceries out of our own refrigerator and freezer and take it to the guys that was down on their luck, you know, and, and different things like that. Or he would build anything for you. He wouldn't ever charge you anything, but he had that problem with alcohol. He drank, uh, the old crow and it, uh, he drank a fifth a day and yeah. it, and it, and it got pretty rough. Yeah. And then, uh, then he started, uh, he started in on, on, he'd come home and beat mama if, if, uh, he got mad about something or different things like that. But I don't know how far y'all want me to go with this, but I can go as far as you want me to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how old were you when you started noticing? Well, uh, it was, even as a little boy, I mean, it was, it was then a little, as a little boy. Cause I, I remember, uh, uh, one time that for whatever reason I don't I didn't understand why but he got mad about something and then he got the lighter fluid and started squirting on the, uh, the wall, squirting wall. on the cabinets kitchen yeah. cabinets and stuff was fixing to burn the house down and I remember us having to run outside and I remember hiding behind the car in the yard and looking around at him wondering why my hero was trying to and he, he was standing there on, I could see him he was standing there with a pistol in his hand looking for us. Mm. And I'm thinking, why is he wanting to kill us? I mean, I don't understand this. I just, yeah, because it's impossible. So, so I was a little boy that I couldn't, I, I couldn't even understand that. Yeah. And another time, I was uh, my we were so little that my sister and I were in the, taking a bath together. You know, you you always took baths together. It seemed like, but when you're little, and we was in there, and then all of a sudden I hear pow 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 in the house. So mm. I'm we're looking at each other as little children, thinking he just killed mama. Yeah. And uh, we didn't we didn't uh, know what was going on. We just sit there, and I, it seemed like forever. And then finally, mom walked in and said, "All right, y'all need to get out and get dried off so we can go to bed." I'm like, "Okay." Mm. So we was relieved that she was still alive. Yeah, I mean that just sounds like terror and fear to a level that it's hard to even comprehend. You know, for a little. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when Paul when Paul describes it, you know, when he's going through his whole testimony, I've always rem. I always marvel at how children, you just kind of have to live. It's guerrilla warfare, right, Paul? I mean, well, you're is. just in survival mode. You, you are, and your mom is too, and everybody seems to be in just in survival mode when you know that you don't know what to do. I know, uh, Daddy, Daddy, I knew him better than anybody, to be honest with you, and uh, even being the youngest child, we would come in from hunting or working outside or just being gone, 
and mama would have to ask me how he's doing. Uh, how's he today? Well, I'd say, oh yeah, he's, he's fine today. Or yeah, it ain't, it's not good. And then she, you could see her getting cringing and she would just start working, you know, start doing dishes or start cooking or whatever she could do to just stay busy to keep, uh, maybe to keep him from, uh, doing anything to her. Yeah. And you had how many older sisters did you have? I had four, four older sisters. Yeah. Yeah. So, older so sisters. your dad was, I was the youngest he, of all He was of them. abusive to your mom and to them as well and to the kids? Uh, no, no, no. Just let, the mom. Now, it, he was, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. What? No, go yeah, ahead. He, he was, a, he was, um, he was abusive to my mom only. But it was so bad around there that my sisters ended up just marrying to get out, and they all got out of the house, and it left me and my little sister there. My, my, she's older than me, but she was my baby sister. They left us there, and I say they left us there. It was okay, but I mean, and then uh, eventually it, he started turning on us, and uh, so one night I heard a commotion outside the, in the living room, and I got up to go see. And it was my dad slapping my sister around because she had left the milk out or some stupid something like that. Well, then I went and grabbed his arm, and my daddy was 6'4", 235, just so stinking strong. But anyway, he said, I got something for you too. And I went back, got toward my room, and then he hit me and put me on the couch. And then he started beating me. But, you know, down deep inside, though, when he was beating me, it was okay because – he wouldn't hit my sister anymore and uh come to find out look i'm gonna tell you how bad it is i didn't even know some of the stuff that i'd actually did my sister come up she i told her i said well look i, I told my testimony and i said something about you and then she said well you've always been my protector and i said what are you talking about and she said don't you remember that every time daddy would get on me you'd come over there and get in between us or he would you would grab his arm or you would do something different and i'm like no i didn't i don't remember those times I, it was hard for me to remember she said do you remember the night you came out with your shotgun going to kill him and i said i'm sitting there trying to think about that i remember coming out one time with a gun going to going to try to end it all but it was uh that was when he shot the guy in the front yard but I'll get to that in a minute, but I couldn't remember doing that. Then I was sitting there trying to remember, and then I thought, okay, it seems like I do because I remember she said, don't shoot him because you might miss. And I thought, I'm not going to miss. But she taught me into talk, taking my gun and putting it back up. But I'm like, I don't even remember this stuff. She did, but yeah. I didn't. Because, you know, you go into these – I've spent my whole life trying to forget this stuff. But, yeah. you know, and you – you talked me into telling it one time and <laughs> yeah. And then so, but you know what? It's been good because it's helped a lot of people because there was more it people is. out there like me than I ever dreamed. I thought I was the only one. I thought I was by myself, but you're not. Yeah. yeah. Cause I right. think I, the time I brought the gun out, I don't know what I was doing. I you just a kid, but the guy pulled up too close to the doorsteps and he had lost a fifth of whiskey that day and he was mad already, but he always carried a pistol in his pocket. And the guy pulled up too close to the doorstep, and he said, back that SOB up. And so he backed up about three foot, and Daddy got up and went, opened that door up and beat that man all the way back to the end of the driveway. And by meanwhile, the door, Daddy jerked the door all but off the car. And then when he got him in the end of the driveway, he pulled his pistol out and shot him in the head. And um, I don't know, he was running around the car holding his head with blood running down his arms and, and his wife was eight months pregnant running around screaming hollering it was a mess well how did right. he even get out of that how did i get out of that? no i mean how did your daddy i mean well you got to understand go to jail? well he went to spent one night uh but you got to understand back then they paid the old boy off i mean that was that was he made so much money for the company he worked for they they took good care of him and stuff like that and got him out it's huh. kind of a good old boy system thing you know gee whiz yeah it ain't it's not like it used to be i'm telling you that for sure for a fact you know that 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 uh no nah, that it ain't well, i think a lot of times culturally <clears throat> especially around where we grew up um you know people just kind of over is as crazy as it sounds now they just overlooked that kind of behavior because it was like, well, you just, you know, like you said, he was in his moments of not being drunk. I'm sure everybody loved him. You know? Oh, they and he did. Was, and he was oh, a, that's what yeah, the guy, guy came over for. He came over to see him because he liked him. 
And right. then, but but he was drunk and mad already, so it was like just a bad combination for that old boy. Well, let's uh, let's take another break. So, Paul, so tell tell our audience what happened. What happened? It was a, I guess, a tragic ending yeah. to the whole thing. But what what happened on the the fateful night? I call it <laughs> the fateful night. Yeah. Well, okay. So. Um, yeah, my sister comes to the door, and I don't know anything that's happening. She comes to the door because I don't hear it. I don't hear anything. I, and she comes to the door, and she said, hey, Paul, get up. Well, there's a certain tone that you know, you know, like the smell, the sights, the hear, the, you know, the thing. There's a certain sound that she made in her voice, and I knew that was trouble. And I said, what is it? And she said, just come here. And I said, what happened? And she said, Paul, just come here. So I got up and went to the living room, and my mom was on the couch with that thousand-yard stare. And uh, and she, hang on a minute. And she looked up at me, and she said, "Son, I killed your daddy." And I said, "Okay." And I sit down beside her, and I just said, "Mom, it's gonna be all right. It's gonna be all right. We'll be all right." Because I mean, for you, y'all don't understand the beatings that she took. And it was mostly for us, but then he started beating us. And I think that she was like, nobody's going to beat my kid like that and get away with it, you know. Yeah. So I think as long as it was her, it was all right. But when it started in on the kids, then it was a different ball game. And um, and she had take, waited till he went to sleep and took a shotgun and stuck it to his head and pulled the trigger mm. and ended it all for all of us. And, uh, well, we had to. We had to go to the, the grand jury and um, testify on her behalf, and she spent a few days in jail, but they, they let her out, and as long as none of the kids said anything, they weren't going to do anything to her. So. so how old were you, Paul, that night? I was 14. Wow. Four, 14 years mm-hmm. old. And boy, <coughs> so I ran so up on be... you about two to three years after that. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 It was uh, – I don't know. It kind of all went downhill for me after that. You know, you start trying to think you're a man. And my daddy always told me when he died, I was going to be a man. You know, I and he said, "Yeah, son, when you your these boots fit your shoes, your, these boots fit your feet, then you'll be a man." Well, I tried his boots on the next day, and they fit. And so, therefore, I thought I was a man at 14 years old. Started living like one. You know, you start doing all the things men do, and that's drinking and drugging and running women. And that's exactly what I did at 14 years old. As a matter of fact, I was living with a girl at 16 because I worked over the horse ranch. And, uh, and well, we I lived at the top of that barn, and she just come moved in with me. And, uh, and just think of the ones that you've talked to since then that this, this, this kind of behavior didn't end with him. It's still it's, it's tough out there. It is tough out there. Matter of fact, you know what? And I'm going to tell you, a lot of people think they're all alone. I did until that Sunday morning that I preached at our church and gave my testimony that time that Al talked me into doing because I never would talk about it. I never talked about it. I always was trying to get rid of it. I just didn't want to think about it no more. Now pack it down. You know, you just. Oh, I, I knew you for years, and I never knew that had happened until yeah. you spoke that morning. Yeah. You know I mean? It was it was crushing. Well, I knew you, know, you since you was like six years old. Oh, I know. Old, I was so it? surprised. I was like, I mean, this is this is incredible. I never knew this. Yeah. I mean, well, it, it's not. I, it, you just didn't go around talking about it. I all knew about it because he and I we we hung out and not, and we talked about it. And some just family and some people that you hang out with mostly is the ones that even knew. Anything he told about me it. his story while we were. We were sharing, yeah, sharing, we were sharing Jesus. Jesus with him. I said, I said, man. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think God led y'all together for that to occur because you had a history of alcohol I'm abuse. glad you came my way back in then, Paul. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've thought this, and I can't thank God enough for you for yep. taking that time. Look, you, you just don't understand how wonderful that was because I was actually at about 15 I was so sick and tired of living that way I was just so tired 
And I remember I can take you back to the spot where I started begging God to save me. And yet I still end up doing all those things because that's all I knew to do. Yep. All I knew to do was what I grew up in. Yep. And so I knew there had to be something better. And so what I'd do is come home and I'd have my Bible and I would get it out either drunk and high or both. And I'd just start reading, trying to figure it out. And so you was the answer to the prayer yep. when you took me in. But see, here it goes even further than that. You allowed me to go and be with you in your home. Miss Gage fed me many meals. And I stayed down there with y'all. I don't know if you remember all this, but yeah, I stayed during school nights and all of it. I was with y'all at your house. Yep. And uh, we'd get up in the mornings and go run run nets or chaps and then uh, yep. go to school. And then during homeroom, I'd sell fish. <laughs> <laughs> was there an attempt in that what, from 14 to 16 to try to get, you know, some kind of counseling or, I mean, oh, did, no. did I didn't nothing. even know anything about that. Nothing, Nobody. No. Nah, you're just in survival mode. You know, you're just yeah. trying to figure things out. And now nah, where I was I headed, remember his, his look was, you know, when I saw him the first time, his hair <laughs> was down to his waist. Which is not frowned upon by you. It was back in, <laughs> back in those days, uh, uh, as far as the hippie movement, it was a full, full throttle. Okay, look. But, but he had a look about him with hair down to his waist. And two or three people at me said, why are you run around that old boy? I said, it's a long story. <laughs> well, look, I, I, I want to take credit for the bandana and the long hair that y'all have because yeah. I was cool before cool was cool. You sure were. <laughs> I always find it comical when Phil's uh, commenting on people's hair care <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. in fashion. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah, we overlooked so everything as far as the look goes. It was, he, was, he was in there with them, you know. I thought, all right. Yeah, that, but you well, know what? I thought he, it was pretty, here's the thing about it is. I thought it was pretty cool that you did a sermon, Paul, that called uh, yesterday when you or when you filled in for Dad about what it's like to be normal. That's yeah. I heard that. Yeah. I heard that was the name of your lesson. I was like, boy, it, it, yeah. was, it was. It was about how to be normal, and I used the, the Robertson and the Smith family as a, an example. <laughs> I told him, I said, well, you know, I, I live with the Robertsons, uh, hanging out with those guys down there, and I thought that was normal, but it was better than what I had. But I figured out it wasn't normal. <laughs> And then, exactly the, right. yeah, and then the Smith family, they was a different family, too. And I was trying to figure out if they was normal, and they really wasn't either. So, you know, as far as what would people think normal is. But you know what? What normal is is that, that we are normal because we're Christians. Mm, that's right. We're, we're children of God Almighty. We're, we're in his family, and that is normal. Because if you're walking in the Spirit as he's in the Spirit, because that's how we were designed and that's what, if you're doing that, then you are normal. Now, we may do abnormal things, but still, we're normal. We're in a normal From time family. to time, we might do some things that seem a little odd to others, but... <laughs> now, I'm glad you said it, though, because people from the outside looking in from the world, they're looking at this as completely abnormal, yeah. that we're believing in this invisible God that you can't see as create a universe, and that we, we actually are reading this Bible as it's a love letter from the creator of the universe they're exactly like that's right. just the craziest thing ever that just seems so abnormal so well but that well, is normal i guarantee it yeah. it makes more sense to me than just saying i'm going to a grave one day and i have no plan yeah and no, i have no. i don't know why i'm here or how i got here and there's a few of us there's one sitting there that's a tough tough story coming up to be 17 years old, 14, 15 years old. Tough, well, tough and I think that's the idea is how it shapes us. Let's take another break. So that's why I want to pick up the story, Paul. So, so you know, our families grew up together. You and Kim, you had two boys. We had two girls. There are several of us all around the same age. And uh, so we're in house churches together, and that's how I got to know you. And uh, we played softball together, you know, church softball and all these, you know, we were just living life together and we we're doing it right. all the, at the church. And of course, Smith was my mentor. I'm, I'm working for the church. And um, so you were you were a welder uh, by yep. trade. And um, but, you know, I, I always knew there was some you had something more to offer the kingdom. And so you had been involved out at OCS <clears throat> kind of as uh, taking care of stuff. And you also were baseball coach. Uh, just kind of, I think, volunteering, right. if I'm right, because you probably didn't get paid much. 
But we were looking for somebody to take care of our, our facility and our building. Mm -hmm. And so, but I have to say, I mean, that was kind of the impetus for us to hire you. But I always, because I knew you so well, I knew you had way more to offer than just that. Although that's important, I, I knew there was more. And so uh, Barry Stevens was our preacher back then. And so I convinced Barry that we needed to hire you uh, to to work with us. But I kind of always had in the back of my mind that that would grow into a lot more than just taking care of the facilities. And so you and I worked together for tw over 20 years. Yeah. And I have to say and tell our audience, I mean, you're not going to find a guy with – and you heard his story. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing what God did. But you won't find a guy with a bigger heart and a better heart than this guy. And yeah. uh, I think that's always shined through. It shines through through your kids, now your grandkids. And you've been a, I mean, what you've done for the church in terms of just taking care of people and sharing the gospel has been remarkable. So, uh, so I'm are your kids, I got to work are your kids married now? Oh, yeah. I married and I got six grandkids. <laughs> are they married? Yeah. 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 See, yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm here looking, and you know, I'm hearing yeah. your story, but we crisscrossing now. I'm over here across the river. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but that was yeah. that all happened like a blink. It did, yeah, it did, yeah, really, it did. Cause uh, just yesterday they was little boys. When I first saw you, you know, you had the long dreads look, but uh, your whiskers were not white. <laughs> now they're now they're white. Well, yeah. And, and Paul yeah. and I got to be good friends yeah. along the way, and uh, I referred to this when I recommended that we have you on the show. I was like. He took a year out of his life and helped me coach a bunch of kids who were, uh, I think they were 13 and 14 were, years old. Yeah, 13, 14. And uh, we drafted kids who were who came from difficulty on purpose. Yeah. And uh, and we we spent a year trying to, uh, you know, plant the seed in those those kids. And, and it was really kind of a bad news bears type story. It really was. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, it was completely dysfunctional. And it <clears throat> began to, we got involved with the parents and we had all these rules. Of, you know, I kicked one of the parents out of, out of the game on the first game. She had to, we, I said, go smoke your cigarettes down there <laughs> 300 yards away because you're putting too much pressure on your kid who's very talented. But, uh, he just threw his first pitch, and the umpire, it looked like a strike. Umpire's like, ball. And he just comes unglued. The mom's hailing four-letter words, and I'm like, timeout, which usually an umpire would throw them out. But I threw her out yeah. <laughs> and then took the kid, you know, and said, that's it. You're, you're, we don't show this kind of character, you know, out here. But I mean, to make a long story short, I just, I saw, because I didn't have any parents helping us. I just took the best men I knew who knew baseball and said, y'all want to help some kids? And it was very rewarding, although difficult and bumpy along the way in all these conversations. But look, I've had numerous of those kids return through the years and said, most fun I ever had. And it was, you know, most inspiring. But, uh, it, I, I don't know what your your take on that was. It was a complete uh, act of service on your behalf <laughs> to be coaching baseball thirty years and then just devote to those kids. Yeah, it was it, that was fun year. That was a great year. Uh, you know what? I ended up uh, converting and baptizing one of the one of the parents. Oh, okay. Yeah. I yeah. yeah. I, so I ended up doing counseling with them and a bunch of other stuff with them. Yeah. So yeah, working with one of the kids for hey. a long term for a while, and so it ended up, if nothing else, it, that's what came out of that. But it was yeah. a lot of fun to uh, spend that time with him, especially uh, Cole. Yeah, yeah my, that, my that, son was on the team. I was the only was, parent coach, but I was like, I'm doing this for the Lord, so I'm not going to be biased. So he, so here's what was funny to me, because Cole and I, I didn't realize it, but Cole and I had conversations. He'd ride with me where we was going, or we'd go different places, or because he was a pitcher and I was a pitching coach, and we would talk about things and stuff like that. And I went over to Martin, and I said, well, Cole and I was talking about this, and he goes, you talk to Cole talked to you, <laughs> and I said, "Well, yeah, I, like what? What? Why wouldn't he?" And he goes, well, "I real. can't get him to say three words yeah, to me." He, he was. So I felt pretty good about that. That Martin couldn't. Uh, have well, and you really helped him out, and I think you know it takes other people because he was real quiet and shy at that stage of his well, life. But well, uh, at that time, no one knew that he was a brain. 
Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. right. He was thinking. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Just, yeah, just thinking. But what we did, we made that place. He's to like say, one of Pepperdine's leading scholars. <laughs> came out of there. I mean, that's pretty tough. University. We made the the baseball field a safe place for those kids, yeah. and and Paul really led the way in because having to deal with the trauma that he dealt with. I mean, here's all these young boys. You know, s- several times, a couple of they showed up crying, yeah. and. Because they're back home is just a complete nightmare. It was. And uh, so I once I, I would go talk to the parents a lot about there will be no negativity in in this place at any time. Because I, I said all this beforehand. I was like, you agree to do this. And I kind of used the, because we had the show and all. I mean, I was like, you agree that I have the right to remove you if you're being negative. We're going to make this a, a safe place for your kids. They need it. They need a safe place to get their head right and be involved in something, you know, and learn how to be selfless and, you know, have a healthy distraction for all their problems. And what was crazy about it was we never thought about actually winning. But, <laughs> no. but we lost the first couple games, and then we won the rest of them. Yep. And then all of a sudden – all these uh, other teams who had in mind, you know, they're into all-stars and who's going to be on the team. And But whoever wins the league, that's who the all-star coach is. And so then it's – That was the last thing we wanted. <laughs> well, right. But they didn't know that. And so then we began being persecuted, and uh, I felt like railroaded a lot of times with the umpires, but we never said a negative word at any time. There was never an argument on a call, nothing. We were always positive no matter what happened. And so the the highlight of that personally was at the end. So we win the league. I go to the all-star coaches meeting. They're all just like heads hung. It's the worst possible scenario has happened because they've lost all control. Look, they already had it set up who was going to be the all-star Who was going to be the coach. They had it all figured out. They had it all lined out and who was going to be on the team and all that. They brought that down. And then we we roll in and upset all that. Well, I purposely showed up five minutes late to the meeting. I stuck my head in there and I said, just wanted you all to know it's been a great year. And I don't want to be the coach, nor does any of my other coaches. So good luck to you. Thanks for a wonderful season. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, that was it because it really wasn't about that. It was about, you know, helping those kids. And that's why I just saw that connection. Here's a man. I mean, you just heard Paul's story. I just don't think it can get any worse than that for a kid. And the reason I asked you about that counseling and all, it's just crazy to me that the power of God saw you through that. And, I mean, you've been not only just a productive <laughs> member of our society for the last 40 years despite that, but an encourager and uh, and have, have have affected thousands of other people and even kids yeah. in situations like that. And I think it truly is a testimony to the power of God. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Matter of fact, in the school systems, uh, I mean, even in elementary school, I was kicked out. <laughs> I, got, I got suspended twice in the elementary school. And I'm like, but I'm really a good guy. I think I don't know why, I don't know why y'all keep running me off. But but no wonder. <laughs> I mean, look at what you have yeah. at your house. Yeah, then, then, I, then in uh, junior high. Yeah, that is, I remember <laughs> – I remember that guy told me, you need to leave, and next time you come back, you need to bring your daddy back. And I looked at him, I said, I'll bring my mom back because yeah. I'm thinking I'm doing you a favor because if yeah. my dad comes back, it ain't going to be good for you. I know that. But yeah. uh, but you, you think about it. Uh, let's take a break. You think about it, Paul. I mean, how many – that's why you have to have empathy – uh, for kids, and especially for trouble kids, because you don't know what's going on at their house, and you don't know what they're going through. And a lot of times, kids act out in different ways. I know there's a lot of educators and coaches that uh, watch and listen to our podcast because I hear from a lot of you. And I hope you're hearing in that whole story about the baseball and even what Dad did is that there has to be an intention, intentionality about kind of how you go when it comes to kids because. They need you. I mean, there's going to be kids in there that are in the same type situation Paul was in, and they need a word. I mean, you know, it, it was a it was a middle school coach, if I'm recalling right, Paul, that got you to come to OCS, which then exposed you to the people you were exposed to, which changed your whole life. And so right. 
That was somebody that had an awareness and was living intentionally for the kingdom. So a lot of times people say, well, you know, I'm just a coach or a teacher. You know, <laughs> I don't know what I can do. But you, you may be the one yep. light that guides somebody to the, to changes their destiny. Yep. I was wondering how that happened, well, How who reached out to you to get you to go to OCS, which eventually you met Phil. Well, when I was uh, kicked out of West Monroe, they asked me to leave and not come back, which I don't blame them. I mean, but anyway, because I, I mean – but they didn't even know your story. No, did they? no, they did. I didn't tell. I mean, they. I think some of them knew it because it happened when I was in junior high, yeah, or middle school. And um, yeah, I remember the old boy coming and telling me that I had to leave, and he had that look in his eye of this kid ain't gonna never make nothing. We right. got to get rid of yeah. him. And uh, rightfully so. I mean, I don't blame the man. I mean, because you know, I, I, I earned that. You know, because I wouldn't be a very good student. But anyway, I could play ball. I, I was I was an athlete, and so uh, Wayne Sproul um, gave me the chance, and I can't thank him enough for that. Um, mm-hmm. He came to our house after I had get, been kicked out, and he put they put me in an alternative school. And he said for that summer, what he would do is is he would get my half my tuition paid, and he'd get me a summer job, which ended up working with the Westmo Police Department. <laughs> how ironic yeah yeah that was uh that was kind of yeah that was yeah because i i was still doing drugs too and and doing mm-hmm. all that stuff and working at the police department so that was a little you know anyway that was a little weird but uh i met william guyton there too by the way he's our city marshal and uh i tell you what that guy has really poured a lot into me too. yeah he's i know him well myself yeah, he's a wonderful man and i love him dearly but anyway, so after that summer job with William Guyton, uh, Wayne Spruill was going to be the head coach at Washtenaw Christian, so he recruited me over to come play at this new, brand-new Christian school. Yeah. And that's where Phil was. And then he and I just hit it off right off the bat, and then he and I started hanging out, and then he shared the gospel with me, and I obeyed the gospel, and then I started bringing all them heathens I knew to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I started – I mean, it was one right after another. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I dragged one after another to him. I'm like, guy, you got to hear this story because they saw the change in me because I went back to that horse ranch I worked at, and them old boys said, we want to smoke a joint and drink some beer, you know, and I'm like, Dawes, I don't do that no more. And they just looked at me like, what? Yeah. And I said, guys, I found something a whole lot better than that. His name is Jesus. And so I only knew one scripture. Go into the world and teach the gospel, and whoever believes and baptized shall be saved. And that's what I did. I mean, that's yeah. all I knew, and I keep telling that scripture. And I told him that, and I said, but y'all got to come hear this story. And I drug them to him, and he started telling them all. So yeah. that's kind of the way that started. But And so then one day, so one day we're at Phil's house, and this kid there in from Alexandria, I don't know if you remember this, but it was uh, uh, the bunch you out of Alec. me, but I don't. <laughs> no, it's okay. The, one, the bunch out of Alec. You remember? Uh, oh, oh, you're talking about the riders. Yeah, riders. Well, yeah. they brought a kid <laughs> with him. They brought a kid up there with him. And uh, and I was waiting on you to share the gospel with him, and and you said go take a nap, and you said, "Stephen, share the gospel with that boy." And I was like, "Oh no, you know now I got to do it." So then, but that's when it started for me, and then it just lit that fire in me that I couldn't wait to tell more people about Jesus and uh, share the gospel with them. So that's what lit my fire in order to start training myself and started studying and doing those things. So actually, and here's what's crazy about this is is that the very handout that they sent all over the world is the one I wrote up hmm. for, of sharing the gospel. And it came from Phil, Bill, and uh, Barry Stevens. Those are the ones I used, some of, some of the things they said, and some I just put my own twist to it and stuff. Hmm. So it's that very thing that gets sent all over the world so people can hear the gospel. And I, it's just word for word, just like I was saying it to them. Hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, isn't that cool? It is. And I can't believe, and and I cannot still believe that God is using me to do things like this. And I, I walk down that hall, and my name's on one of those doors. And all these other guys has got these degrees and all that, and I just, I tell myself, I got yeah. a degree of hard knots. <laughs> I got the knots to prove my, my experience. <laughs> well, so, well anyway. God had a plan for you. I appreciate, I know it's not difficult, even though you've shared, you know, a few times. <laughs> And because a lot of people out there, you think about it. I mean, we live in an evil world and bad things happen and just things happen in nature. We're perishable. A lot of our our pain, you know, comes from our own sin. And but sometimes it comes from somebody else's sin and just dealing with that. But it just shows you that no matter what happens, that there's a God that's faithful 
and provides ways for us to get on our feet and, and be productive. Yeah, the little text that says when Jesus in John 8 said, if you hold on my teaching, then you'll really be my disciple. Then you'll know the truth. Truth will set you free. There's yeah. living proof right there. Yeah. yeah. Set free. Set free is exactly what it was. Satan, sin, guilt, law, the grave. You like, boy. I, I I just smiled all the time when I. I mean, after I come up out of that water, I was just like, okay, this is my new life, and it yeah. was yeah. so. And it's been wonderful ever. Well, you still ain't been. It's you been still hard. have the fire in your bones, which oh, that's yeah. a good thing. Oh yeah, man. I, I still love doing what I'm doing. I've been at the church for now over 22 years, just about 23 years. Yep. And I can thank Al for that, man. Al, you've you've done more for me than uh, than most, and I'm gonna just say thank you so much for that. Like, uh, well, the whole Robertson family really has, you know. I mean, every- all making me feel old this morning. Well, I'm- <laughs> well, Phil, hey. well, I feel old too, but it really is. I mean, up for Miss Kay. Hey, I think what the deal is, we are old. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, Kay, you know, Kay's done a lot for me. I remember her. Uh, or making her banana pudding for my birthday and stuff like that. And so, yeah, yeah you bunch. Look, guys, when when you come out of uh, when you come out of nothing, and you have people like y'all to love somebody like me, that was uh, you guys have a great influence on me, and uh, I can't thank you enough. Hey, yeah, mm. it's uh, well, I, really <clears throat> I think it's made us all a little bit emotional. And when you just think about how, <laughs> yeah. how close we are as, as yeah. brothers. Um, I, I'll close with one of my favorite stories about Paul. He was right around 16 or 17. He was a brand-new Christian, and uh, he had been out to help Dad run the nets, and we had a wooden boat. Uh, remember those little <laughs> Cypress boats we had, Dad? Oh, the, yeah. the I remember this story. Uh, made them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so I, I they caught forgotten a, they, this story. <laughs> oh, I hadn't. I'll never they, forget this story. <laughs> <laughs> they caught a loggerhead turtle that day, <laughs> along with the fish, and that turtle got back there and got to snapping around old Paul's feet, and and he got a little bit nervous when they were coming in, so he wasn't watching where he was going. There was a snag right behind where we parked the boats, sticking yeah. up out of the water about two feet inside. inside. <laughs> Paul just centered that thing, he did, and just everything came to a complete stop. Oh, we well, all hole in the boat. And and the boat snag was, just, was through the boat yeah. like this. Yeah. Yeah. Water was coming. Cause, uh, right. <laughs> okay, because I'm driving the boat and I'm looking down. And this turtle just comes alive, and he's coming through there, and, he's, and we're all barefooted anyway. He can, you know? And he can take your fingers oh, off. Look, and and I toes. know this because he was huge. He was this big around, you know. He was huge, <laughs> snapping turtle. And yeah, and so I had him. I was trying to get my feet out of the way, and I'm trying to look, and all I heard was, "Watch it! Watch it! Watch it!" And I looked. <laughs> Wham! And I hit that thing, and everything went forward. And he, I'm, <laughs> and we had, like I said, we hadn't been Christians that long. <laughs> but Phil looked back at me and said, boy, and I don't know what else he said because I was just too shocked. Anyway, he jumped out of the boat, picked the boat up off the snag because good thing we wasn't that far from the bank. But, uh, yeah, we got to the bank. Yeah, yeah we patched it up, patched it up, moved on. For 30 years, there was a jug tied on the top of that snag <laughs> there was. to let everybody know, don't go there. So, don't go there. All yeah. right, we're out of time. We got a little overtime segment. I saved one story that I want you to tell, Paul, in our overtime segment, which is um, one that's very, very powerful to me. So we'll, we'll uh, save that one. We'll catch it in overtime. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.